Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I mean, they always have a big mouth. They always talk a lot. So it happened before. It's going to happen again. Welcome to another episode of Fantastic Tennis, where the fans get to know their favorite pros. I'm your host, John Garica. Each week, I'm joined by a major fan of the sport that, like most of us, love to talk, follow, play, and give their unsolicited opinions about the sport we all love. And to help balance that out, we're always joined by an expert of the game that has been there and knows exactly what it feels like to win those big matches. We get to pick their brain and ask all the questions we've always wanted to ask our favorite players. This is Fantastic Tennis. This week's fan guest has a dream job of any tennis fanatic. As a tickety manager for the Australian Open and Tennis Australia, this super fan loves tennis so much, he made it his job. He calls Melbourne home, so it's no wonder why he's such a big fan of today's guest. I'd like to welcome my mate Tyrone Andres Parker. Hi, Tyrone. Hi, John. How's it going? Great. Happy unlockdown to you. <laughs> and to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always said that your name would make for an excellent professional tennis player name. It's like very, it's like, <sighs> I like the hyphenated name. The, the double barrel. The double barrel. Yes. Um, Tyrone, today could be a tearjerker. We have one of our favorites on. You read her book, yes? I have read the book. Yes. Yes. Perfect. All right. Today's going to be a great conversation. Let's introduce our special guest on today's episode. This powerhouse burst onto the scene in 1999 with a stunning upset of then top seed Martina Hingis at Wimbledon. She used her powerful baseline game to achieve great success throughout her career. Winning six WTA titles, an appearance in the French Open doubles final, it was no surprise that she climbed all the way to number four in the world. In 2017, she released her best-selling autobiography that vulnerably addressed her years of mental and physical abuse at the hands of her father. And today we get to catch up with a player that can tell us firsthand what it feels like to be unbreakable. It's Yelena Dockett. Yelena, hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm fine, but you both must be feeling fantastic today. It's 139 days of the Melmer lockdown. It's been over. I'm so happy for you guys. Yeah, it's been uh it's been quite tough. Uh, we feel like we've been in lockdown actually since April, but we've been in like a really really um harsh and long lockdown for almost 4 months. So, we just came out I think two two days ago. So, yeah, uh, feeling really good to to finally get um, you know, a little bit of freedom and be able to get out. There. It's been a, a really long um lockdown, one of the toughest in the world and and we've done well to kind of get everything and, and the virus under control. So, we are actually going into summer now. So it feels like feels good to actually be able to have, um, you know, a little bit of freedom and try and enjoy it, um, at least for a little bit. What was the first thing you did? I'm sure you're just like, all right, as soon as you guys get that notice, you're like, all right, I'm going to go outside and do what? Um, well, we, we actually went for the first time yesterday to actually have, um, have breakfast and a coffee in, a, in an actual restaurant in a, in a cafe for the first time in four months. So it felt so strange because um, it's something that, you know, you, you kind of do these things all the time. And um, we just 
none of that was happening. Everything was completely, you know, closed, full on lockdown. We could only go five kilometers from our house and we could only go out for like an hour of exercise a day. So that was it for four months. So uh, yeah, it's affected a lot of people mentally as well. Um, it's been a big thing. Um, we're all struggling. I mean, not just in Australia, but all parts of the world and all communities. It's been a tough year. Um, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully this will get better soon. Yeah, the the U.S. reported 87,000 new cases just yesterday, which was a new high for us. We're absolutely insane here as well. So yeah, keep keep the prayers going. Uh, Tyrone, what was what did you do when you left the house? What was your first thing that you did? This is this is going to sound really cliche. I I organized a, a match. We're only allowed to play uh, under the rules. We're only allowed to play singles at the moment. So we had to wait for um, approval from not only the government but also from the, um, the 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 leading sport organization in in, uh, in Victoria to to give us um, rules on what we were we weren't allowed to do. Um, when we're playing tennis and, and luckily tennis is one of those sports where um, you do have that automatic um, social distancing so it's 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 good that we were allowed to do that but that's yeah that's one of the things that we look forward to as, as a tennis fans tennis players you want to get out there and, and play I went on a court as well by the way so straight away first day <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm going to ask about it later, but guys, I have no idea what's going to happen next, but Pfizer came out and said that they should have a vaccine by the year end. So I'm at this point, I'm just going to keep wearing my mask, hope that tennis keeps going, entertaining us. Let's just, uh, let's just cross our fingers to see what happens. All right. Before we jump into actually Yelena's career, we start each episode with some tennis talk. So I want to dive right in. Tyrone, I'll start with you. You actually work for Tennis Australia. So you're the perfect person to ask this first question to. Australian Open boss Craig Tilley has categorically ruled out staging the 2021 Melbourne Grand Slam if players are forced to quarantine for two weeks. But he did say absolutely he was confident that the Open would go ahead as planned, as well as all lead-up events. What are your feelings as we cross into the Australian summer? I think it's just to, to remain positive about the fact that it goes ahead. Um, I, I think uh, there, there's a lot of anticipation from the company's side of things. Um you know, I I, I, need, I I kind of need to be careful about what we talk about, but it's just it's just remaining positive. Um, looking at what's happening with the other what with the other events are doing, we have the cricket happening, and there was a bit a bit of talk about that. The cricket uh, Boxing Day test, it's called, and um, there'll be players coming from India for that for that event. And I think with the Australian Open, it's going to be a little bit more of a complicated situation because we're talking about you know, bringing people from various different countries around the world. And it's a, it's a very complex, when you think about how well we've done um, in Melbourne, for instance, uh, I think yesterday was four, the day before that was three. And then we had two days of zero community infection in the state. And uh, Australia is very conscious of, of protecting that. Um, so there's, there's a bit of work that needs to happen with getting the players in. But I, I think we're all very hopeful that it, that it happens. If it can happen in New York at the US Open, I'm I'm very confident that Australia can pull it off for sure. We did see this week that the WTA event in Auckland was cancelled already. Is that worrisome for Australia? You think that's a bad sign? But I just want to also clarify the reason why also the Auckland event um, potentially cannot go forward is because Australia has the 14-day quarantine period. If any player was to play Auckland, then you can't get to Australia and be ready in time for Australian Open. So that's the issue. Compared to New York and Paris, we have the 14-day quarantine period for anyone coming from overseas. So that's the issue. There's pretty much no other event that can go ahead because you wouldn't be able to come back into Australia, do your quarantine period, and then actually go and play um, whatever other tournament or Australia. You know, and so I think that's also been kind of the issue. Um, that's why everything is, I, I think they're trying to put everything into this whole Australian summer. 
that everyone plays everything in Australia, which I think is a great idea. And you minimize having other problems and logistical problems with other events. Makes complete sense. A hundred percent. Thanks for clarifying that. Well, I, I, I hopefully it goes on. Obviously, as a big fan of the sport, it was sad not being in New York this year. I, it's a, an event that I've gone to for the past 10 years. So they did say possibly that uh, there would be some crowds as well. We'll see what happens in the next couple months, obviously. But good luck to to everyone down there. I know we're very hopeful that uh, we pull this off. So Yelena, the French Open was was held last month and and looked very bizarre. We had long sleeves, players in pants. It was super windy conditions. What was your take on Paris this year? Yeah, very different to what we're used to seeing. But I think at the end of the day, everyone, you know, I think from uh, the French Federation to the players and their teams and everyone else working behind the scenes, I think we were lucky that it went ahead, you know, and, and look at where Paris and France is. Unfortunately, right now, they've gone into complete lockdown yesterday. Um, and, and those infections were getting higher and higher actually during the French Open. So I think they, you know, they did well. There was only a few, I think, players that tested positive and that was in qualifying. Um, so it actually went ahead and, and everything went, you know, pretty much, you know, smooth as it, as it could. It was strange, um, you know, seeing so much rain and, and cold and, and players were freezing and, and playing in tracksuit pants. And, and yeah, it was like seven or eight degrees um, almost every every single day. Uh, but, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, we got another grand slam out of it, you know, which which is good. And, and um, the fans also got to watch some tennis. There was about a thousand fans a day, which is more than New York had because New York had none. Um, so it's as strange as all that you know, seemed and, and when it's not used to seeing that, we used to see more crowd and um, just a very different picture. But, you know, it was still great to actually be able to um, have some tennis go ahead. Could you imagine playing in those cold conditions? Did you ever have to play in a, in a very cold environment? You played in the Australian summer. So was that was that something that uh, that you're used to? Well, most of our tournaments and in general what we have is in heat. It's in very hot conditions. Uh, But there are sometimes a tournament here and there where it does get cold, like um, in that whole clay court swing when we go onto it in in, um, early April. And sometimes you might get a few cold days here and there. So um, I I have played in in cold conditions like that. But it's an adjustment that you have to make. And I think um, players have gone through such a big change this year, something that they've never really had to go through before that six month break. So I think no matter what the conditions were, they were just happy to actually be out there, you know, be able to play tennis. A lot of them also actually be able to earn a living as well um, and just be able to get some tennis played. Absolutely. I was this morning, I I even turned on tennis channel and I watched, uh, there's a challenger going on in, in the U S and Shelby Rogers, who's a top American. She's, I I literally turned the television on this morning. She's bundled up under a blanket on a changeover during her match in Texas. It was crazy to see, but uh, alas, you know, we're just happy that tennis is going on period. Uh, Yelena, any matches from, from Paris in your career that stand out for you? I know you had many successful runs. I can think of a couple myself, but is there a match that first comes to mind when I say French Open? Uh, actually, a lot comes to mind because uh, that was actually uh, only my uh, second grand slam in juniors and I got to the final in singles and won the doubles. So that I've got great memories there. Um, I also made um, the quarterfinals in singles as well and the finalists um, in doubles with Conchita Martinez. Uh, so I've got a lot of great uh, memories, but uh, I had a great match actually against Jennifer Capriati there. So the year that I, that I made the quarters, we had an epic three-set match. 
And uh, even though I ended up uh, just losing that one in a third, it, it was a it was a fantastic match. She was number one in the world. She actually went on to win that Grand Slam. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've got great memories um, of that tournament. And that that really was a great uh, match and a high quality match. If there's some new fans listening today and, and you're not familiar with Yelena, YouTube that match. I remember watching it live on television and it was one of my very favorite matches, actually, that capriati Dockic quarterfinal of 2002 French Open. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that, that memory. Um, Tyrone, any surprises, anything that you want to add about the French Open from a fan perspective? Were you happy with the new champion we saw? Were you excited about the Nadal-Djokovic matchup? It's um, it's, it was interesting just having the French Open happen at that time of the year, and and and, and unfortunately for us, we don't get to to see it all of it because it, it happens at a very strange time of the day for us. We have to either stay up very late or wake up really early to watch those matches. But the the, the results coming through were, were were insane. Given you know they had two weeks um a two week break between the US and the clay, and I, I mean not being a professional tennis player, I can't talk about how you know how difficult it is to to translate from hard court to a to a clay court but you know I, I guess that sort of yielded some really um it's interesting interesting results and then when you overlay the 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 filter of having the stress I guess of being in the bubble um and, and players having to exist in that environment and then also the the lack of preparation I guess and and the fans people being able to feed off the fans I'm not sure um I mean Yelena is probably a good person to to make a comment on that and as to how you know how a player uses the, the crowd to their advantage yeah, I think it's very weird for players, and they've talked about that, about the fact that, you know, it's just so weird not having any fans. And we heard that first, obviously, in New York, um, when it was so strange for players not to even have, you know, a handful of people watching. We had a few more um, at Roland Garros, but, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a very different feeling. And a lot of the top players have said that it's very actually hard for them to play and very weird without those fans, whereas maybe some lower-ranked players... Um, that, you know, are not always, you know, in the, in the second week of a Grand Slam or even the first week of a Grand Slam, they found it, look, usually we play in these types of conditions, especially in lower-ranked tournaments. So I think that's also one of the reasons why so many qualifiers have gone through and done well, um, especially at the French Open, because I think they were a lot more actually used to those conditions than some of the top players were. It's very different when you're used to having thousands and thousands of people watching your matches all the time, especially in Grand Slams. And now all of a sudden, there's barely anyone, you know, clapping. There's there's none of that crowd and, and emotion and adrenaline and everything, all that energy that you kind of get from the crowd. It, it can affect, I think, players. And not everyone deals with that as well as, well as others. Great take on that. Thank you both for that. Real quick before we move on, I, I did want to talk, obviously, I have two Aussies on the podcast today, and I'm I'm a big Ash Barty fan. She's the first Aussie number one since Leighton Hewitt in 2003. How much do we love Ash and what has she been to to impact tennis in Australia? Oh, absolutely. I think what she's done is absolutely incredible. Uh, I'm a big fan of her game, also her as a person and her personality. I mean, she's so down to earth and so humble, you know, and, and we, I think in generally in tennis, we haven't had someone like that for a very long time. Um, and uh, a lot of people can really relate to her. Also what she's done in general for um, kids here in Australia in tennis, she's, she's got a lot of kids involved in tennis again, especially little girls. Um, so it's been, it's been great to see, but from a player perspective, you know, I mean, she's got a game that just players are struggling with so much. I like the fact, the fact that she uses a slice so much. She comes forward 
um, she knows how to come forward very well and, and she's got a great net game. Um, her serve as well, it's a weapon and, and it's actually a little bit underestimated on how good her serve is and how good um, her placement is on her serve. Mentally, incredibly tough and, and just deals with pressure expectation and, and that media attention so well. So, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of her and her game. Uh, actually, a little bit um, disappointed that we didn't get to see her play, actually, for the rest of this year. And she chose not to go to New York and Paris, and, and she was concerned with everything that was going on and for the safety of her and her, her team, which I absolutely um, actually understand and, and respect. But I would have loved to have seen her play uh, more tennis this year um, and, and try and actually defend her French Open title. So, uh, yeah, really excited actually to see her play in Australia and, and to see her almost be one year since we didn't see her play. So it will be great to see her play again in January. And I think a lot of people will agree with me that, you know, we, we can't wait to see her play again. Well, she's been playing a lot of golf. So, yeah, that, that's been keeping her busy. I love it. I love also the fact that in Australia, you have someone like Ash Barty who is so just, just as you said, just a, a classy player, this new generation of just like a great representation of, of the sport. And then you have also the fiery kind of crazy energy and the entertaining energy of Nick Kyrgios as well, who, who gives you this like great yin and yang to, to tennis Australia. His honestly, his 2020 Instagram live feeds were keeping me very busy uh, and, and laughing and smiling uh, at the beginning of my lockdown. Tyrone, are you a fan of Kyrgios? I, I am. I actually think he's, uh, this is quite a controversial comment to make, but I think he's, he's great for the sport. Um, he's, uh, you know, he brings eyes to the to the to the sport. It's it's not like obviously Nick hasn't had the results that I think we we would hope of him, but you know he calls himself Mr. Box Office. And you know, coming from where I come from, I guess, and and what I do, I I'm like, yeah, that's great. You know, bring the people to the sport because it if Nick is in the media for whatever reason, I mean, we don't always want it to be negative, but if he's in the media, it gives us the exposure and it gives the 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 it gives the sport exposure, and that can only be a good thing. You know, sometimes it, it polarizes, but that's kind of one of the things is he, I think he does thrive on being um, seen as the villain. And, you know, it's almost like turning it into like the WWE or, you know, he has this, you know, he has this uh, idea of heroic idolism like the, the NBA you know, it, it works for me. I, I like it. It's a different take on, on the other, ten, uh, the other tennis players. Yeah, no, I agree. It's the role he's taken. Uh, it's the John McEnroe role, you know, a little essentially. Did you either of you see Nick on the ABC Australian show Reputation Rehab this past week? No, I was actually going to watch that. I haven't seen that. So I'm going to try and get my hands on that. And people said it was, uh, it was great. So I want to see it. It was a great interview. He said a lot of important things, actually. So I, I encourage you all to uh, to go back. We'll talk about it another time. Guys, thanks for your take on on some recent tennis stuff. Tyrone, you're a big tennis player. <laughs> Just a little. You said you weren't allowed to play during lockdown then, right? No, we weren't allowed. To, we were only allowed one hour out of the house and we were only, yeah, no interaction with anyone. So your first time playing tennis in the past few months was just recently, like yesterday. Correct. Last week, last week, the timing was way off. My feet didn't know what they were doing. Um, yeah, a mess, hot mess. <laughs> we, we were waiting here in the States as well. I, I understand your plight. I, I wonder, when did you start becoming a fan of Yelena's? What made you such a big fan of, of hers? Yeah, you know, um, and this is something that I think only Australians will understand, but um, you guys may even know it. There's an event that no longer happens, but one of one of the events that I actually truly, really, really loved um, 
uh, back when I was younger, the Hopman Cup, because what it meant when the Hopman Cup was on TV was the tennis had started. It wasn't for us. It wasn't the Australian Open. It wasn't even the Sydney International. The start of the tennis season in in Australia was always the Hopman Cup. And um, you know, what I loved about it was the fact that you would get the men and the women interacting with each other, like the, the top men and women interacting with each other. And, and Yelena, obviously, um, she represented Australia a couple of times and, and won with, with Mark. Um, I think I'm testing my memory here. I think 90, I want to say 97, is that right? 99. <laughs> 99. <laughs> Sorry. That's two years. That's good. You did good. But, you know, um, I, look, I, I don't want to talk about my experience with it because I think Yelena's, uh, Yelena's memories and experience of the Hopman Cup would be a lot more interesting than mine. But what, what I do want to say is 100% when we, you know, because we did have, you know, we did have uh, Manly Covers and um, I think Todd, Yelena, did Todd represent Australia at one point? Uh, he may have, uh, not with me, um, but maybe before me a little bit, but I'm not sure. I, I just remember one of the first times I watched um, the Hopman Cup was Hannah Mandlikova playing. And that's, you know, that's way back. You're aging yourself for sure. I know, I know, I know. I'm putting it out there. But um, I guess what was one of the one of the exciting things was when Yelena played because she had, um, you know, she had a couple of really good victories um, that year that they played, um, her, and, her and Mark. And it was just great to see that synergy with, you know, because Mark was obviously a, um, a character as well. I think, you know, very similar to the Nick Kyrgios concept back in the day because they're both, you know, of, of Greek background. And then, you know, Elena was such a strong player. And I think we were all so excited that we had such a great team and they came through for us. They sure did. We're going to talk about it a little later. All right, guys, are you ready for a game? We're going to get into Yelena's career and I want to do it in true fashion and game style because that's just how we roll here. This game is called a 40 Love You. It'll be Tyrone versus Yelena. It's a fan versus favorite tennis match trivia show down all about Yelena's amazing career and life. He might actually beat me here. (laughs) Here's how the game works. I'm going to ask two questions about uh, Yelena's career. Then Yelena, I'm going to ask you two questions that kind of sort of have to do with Tyrone, but more so about you, really. (laughs) If we happen to end in a 2-2 tie, I'm going to give Tyrone the opportunity first to be today's champion, but only if he can come up with the right answer to this very first question. Otherwise, the tie break goes to Yelena. All right, guys, let's do this. I do want to preface by saying that a lot of what we're going to talk about today is chronicled in Yelena's amazing best-selling autobiography, Unbreakable. The book gives its readers so much detail and backstory to all of her career highlights. And if you haven't read it, I urge you to order the book, read it, then re-listen to today's podcast just to get a better understanding of what was really going on behind the scenes in Yelena's life. So I know you had so many accomplishments, Yelena, that you weren't able to enjoy at the time, but I hope talking about it today and some of our highlights, it brings some reverence to uh, to what you were able to achieve on and off court. So, all right, guys, let's start this tie break, Tyrone. Let's have some fun. This is kind of testing your WTA knowledge. I'm assuming you have a strong a strong background. Yeah, I like to think I do. Um, whether or not that stands to the test, let's, let's, let's see how it goes. Okay. As you know, Yelena made her debut at Melbourne Park in 1999 and made the third round losing to a former number one player in the world. So I wondered... How many number one players did Yelena actually play during her career? Oh my god. Yelena, can you guess? Play or win? Play or win. How many number how many people did you play that ended up number one in the world? Oof, that would have to be quite a few. Um it is quite a few. They were there are 27 in the open era. So just to give you a hint, how many of the 27 do you think you played? Uh 10, 12, 10, 10. I love it. You're going way low, but it's 17. 
amazing, actually. Really? Oh, wow. You played 17 number ones. It has to be a record. I don't know. Anybody who's listening, please fact check the record of wow. who played the most number ones, but I, she has to be up there. Ash Barty was number 27, so that's that's how we finished. So, Andres, for this tie break, I'm going to let Yelena decide how many of the 17 that you need to name to prove that you're a WTA super fan. <laughs> Oh my God. So Yelena, what do you think? What, where do we gonna, what are we going to make Tyrone go through today? How many of the 17 to prove himself that he was one of your biggest fans? Um, well, since there's so many, uh, I'd have to, he'd have to get at least 10, no? Oh, that's very generous. Thank you, Yelena. I can do I think I can do that. <laughs> it's actually easier than you think because I, I, I think I, yeah, because I think I beat quite a, a few of those. So yeah. You did. Okay. So Tyrone, if you can't name all 10 or take longer than three seconds to name someone or give me an incorrect name, the tiebreak goes to Yelena. So yeah. let's get it going. There were a bunch of them. Who are we starting with? Let's go with 10. What do we got? Okay. Um, uh, I want to say, I want to play, play against. You said not played beat. against. Yep. Played against. Okay. So Lindsay. Lindsay's. Yep. Absolutely. Number one. Yep. Um, Lindsay Martina Hingis. Absolutely. Yep. Um, um, Oh God. We named one at the French at the French Open. Kim. That's that's three. Kim. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say this is just a throwout because I think it all happened at the same time. Um, just Justine. Yes. Yes. Justine yes. is four. And we just named one that I played against at the French Open. I love that she gave you she gave you such a little margin, and she's also helping you. We we're getting the the true character of Elena Dockett right now. How that's four. What, who's five? Um, I. Oh my God. Oh, I know. We just talked about her. She beat me at the French Open. She's oh, American. Capriati. <laughs> yes, that's five. Um, oh, God. Now I'm just, I'm questioning myself about, um, did Arantxa get to number one? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Arantxa? Yes. Okay, so that's six. We're struggling here, but I have faith we in We are you. struggling. We are struggling, but I feel like this is more because I'm being put on the spot rather than me not knowing. Who's seven? Um... A William sister. I'm gonna throw a William sister in there. Okay. Which one? Oh, uh, Venus. Okay. There we go. Who's next? Oh my God. This is harder. Serena. Did you play Serena? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. There we go. Give me a couple more names to end this anguish, please. All right. Did you play Maria? Did you play Maria? Oh God. She did. Yes. Give me one more. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> one more. I'm having a mental blank. Uh, do you remember my book? Who one of my uh, childhood idols was? You need a cocktail. <laughs> Monica, did you play Monica? Yes, yes, yes Monica. Sure. Okay. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. <laughs> That's instead of singles, this was doubles. But I'm still going to give it to you guys. Yelena, do you remember? Do you remember any of the others? I know you do. Come on. Uh, so Monica. Uh, who else did I play? Um, so many. We named ten. Yeah, let's go. Moresmo, Safina, Wozniacki, Yankovic, Ivanovic. You're crossing into this generation. You played Pliskova. Oh wow! Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mary Pierce, Pliskova. Yeah. Mary Pierce wasn't one, but I I love Mary Pierce. And then also Halep. You beat Halep oh. as well. So yes, I did. So many amazing players of those seventeen. Uh, obviously, if you go back, uh, you you beat so many of them. How did the women's game evolve the most? during your time on tour? Obviously with playing 17 of 27 amazing number ones in our history, you played a solid a solid amount of time on tour. What, what was the biggest evolution you feel like to the game? Yeah, look, I feel like uh, just the fact that, you know, um, 17 out of 27 number ones, I think it just shows you um, that era, um, the early 2000s onwards, kind of the next, you know, 
10, 15 years that I was on the tour, there was, um, you know, a lot of amazing players um, that came through. And I think that era was really the one that went when kind of going into the Steffi Graf, Monica Sellers um, era, then Serena and Venus coming through as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, just all the names that we named, I, I mean, I played them within, you know, 10 years of my career. So I, I think it just shows you how strong it was. And I think in a way, obviously, it was an extremely competitive era. Uh, but I, I feel actually um, very fortunate, privileged to have actually played all of those players and had the, the opportunity to actually compete against them on the court. So, um, you know, maybe obviously some people say, oh, that's extremely tough. It is. But I think, you know, that, that's that's what you love about tennis. I mean, that privilege, um, the honour to play so many great players and, and actually even play doubles with them and be on the court with them, practice with them, play singles against them, beat them or lose or sometimes not beat them. Obviously, it doesn't matter. But just that opportunity to have done that um, was was incredible. And I think it's kind of also shaped a little bit women's tennis. You know, that whole kind of power tennis came through, you know, those kind of late 90s, early 2000s um, that really changed and I think shaped a little bit the future of, of women's tennis. We're going to talk a little later about the, the 1999 Wimbledon. And I, I, to this day, as a as a huge WTA fan, uh, think that that tournament is the quintessential turning point in women's tennis. So we'd love to talk about it a little bit later, but I do wonder your game was so powerful, even from the start, from when you started playing, what type of players, uh, and it could be any pool, obviously of the 17 we just named, but, but anyone really, what type of players would give you the most trouble? Uh, I, I actually was quite good at working things out on the court and didn't really have too many problems where I could say, oh, you know, that kind of game really bothers me. But I think there were sometimes players where, you know, they were extremely difficult to play against. So for me, for example, Lindsay Davenport was incredibly tough. Uh, it was very hard um, to read her game. She had one of the best serves to this day. And um, to me, like the placement of her serve is just uh, insane. So I kind of had some issues with Lindsay and playing Lindsay and I played her quite a few times and always really struggled playing against her. But uh, there was, like I said, quite a few of those power players that came through, including Serena um, and Venus, Kim Kleisters and and um, and I were one of those. Jennifer Capriati as well. Um, we had so many. Monica Sellis, and, and that's a little bit um, kind of why I shaped my game on. That's why I think I played such and, and had such an aggressive um, game style as well. But um, if I had to really pick like one that I would say, look, I, I you know had, had trouble against her and, and, and reading her game and my game just didn't, you know, kind of match up well with hers, that would have to be Lindsay. Oh, we had Lindsay on the call. She's she's amazing. What what an icon as well. You picked you picked well. Uh, we're talking about number ones in this conversation. Uh, you won your first title actually. Since we're talking about number ones, number one title uh, was it was arguably your your biggest title by defeating former number one Amelie Moresmo in Rome at the Italian Open in two thousand one. As, uh, as as a reader, it was actually one of the very few parts of your book where it seemed that you were allowed to actually enjoy a victory. Was that the case? Do you look back on the Italian Open and have fond memories of, of that first title? Yeah, I do. Look, as, as tough as my upbringing was and as tough as my time in tennis was for personal reasons and obviously all the abuse that I went through uh, with my father, I, I, I do remember those things as 
positive memories. And I do discuss in the book that at times it was tough to enjoy them because of everything that was going on uh, in the background and privately. But I do remember them. And and Rome is actually one of those ones that I really do cherish because I I really um, got to a little bit actually enjoy that one. As much as I was always under constant pressure and fear, um, what was going to happen, I actually... I did enjoy that one um, a little bit more than others and and, um, have really fond memories of that tournament um, to this day. And I remember it very well, including that final against Emily, which was uh, not just a a huge try to win and got me into the top 20 for the first time. And I was only 18 years old, but just that match, I played a perfect match and and she was one of those players that... uh, was incredibly tough to play against and um, it was one of one of those ones where I would have to pick you know if I had a, a couple of things to pick out of my career that are really really fond memories that would be you know the wrong title. 2001 was a huge year for you you won a big tournament in Moscow another tier one you had a great title run in Tokyo that really saw you beat Kim Kleisters and Arantxa Sanchez Vicario back to back in those matches great events there was so much going on with your coaching team, your family, and the press. Have you been able to appreciate any of those on-court memories? Obviously, you just said looking back, you're seeking the positive from them. After writing the book, did that really help you kind of look back onto those events and say, you know what, I can separate the negative from the positive? Yeah, it did. It did. Uh, uh, the, the book helped in a lot of ways, which I actually didn't think at the time that it would and in a way I wish I could have written the book earlier uh, for a lot of reasons first of all for uh, a lot of people especially my fans to actually know what was going on and what I went through and what you know kind of what my career consisted of and why at times things were the way that they were and why at times I was the way that I was but they actually got to know me as the real person but also as a tennis player which a lot of people have come up to me and said, oh, now I understand why you at times looked the way that you did and you looked sad and you looked absent or, you know, I had no idea and you really gave me an insight into, you know, you and your life and your thinking and who you are as a person and a tennis player, which is great to hear. But it really did. It gave me, look, this whole weight was lifted off my shoulders and a lot of things that happened in my career and one of those is definitely the fact that obviously I came to Australia when I was 11 years old. I was born in Croatia and I, um, you know, started representing Australia, which I, I that was home. And, and I was so proud to represent Australia wherever I played, um, especially, you know, uh, events like Hopman Cup, which I won, Fed Cup, the Olympics as well. And that was kind of, I feel like, overnight taken away from me due to my father um, changing nationalities going back to play for Serbia. And that was one of the toughest moments of my career. I could take any loss. I could lose love and love. doesn't matter. Um, you know, but I felt like this was, this was the big loss of mine because I felt so proud to be Australian, to play for Australia. And he took that away from me. I was only 17 years old and um, really had, didn't have much say in it. He was extremely abusive and, and alcoholic. And, and that was, um, it was, it's tough. That was very tough, especially for a 17-year-old. So, you know, I, I got to write about that, all of, all of that and how that was happening, including all the abuse. And some of it is obviously pretty, pretty extreme, but it, it happened. And I wanted to, to explain it and talk about it in a book. 
um, as tough as it, is, as it is sometimes to read certain parts of it, which which is what people have said. But um, I wanted to put it all out there and and show people actually what happened and how it was. And I think that was extremely important. So the book did so much for me first on a personal level. I feel like it, it literally, I almost feel like this might sound really extreme, but I, I actually started to live again from the day that that book came out. I had so much I had so much weight, a lot of things weighing me down um, that I felt like I never told people and I never got to say. And I finally was able to do that in my book. That's why it was extremely important. On top of the fact that I think it helped um, a lot of people already, a lot of parents, a lot of coaches, um, a lot of um, uh, players, a lot of uh, you know young people that are you know also not even in tennis, but a lot of people have found a lot of inspiration and a lot of help from the book, which is um, which is always Wow. Thank you for, obviously, thank you for sharing that. We're, we're two, we're two fans of yours. We've read your book. Um, there, we can take so much inspiration from, from the pages that we've read. I would be remiss to, to not talk about your, to talk about your titles and not mention the Kuala Lumpur title in 2011. As a fan, I would, I would think for me, that's probably in, in our top two or three memories of of yours as a career obviously you've been through so much and you only obviously it was at the end of the book and we highlighted just for a little bit but uh that win against safarova in 2011 after nine years of not being in the final and all the anguish and all the struggle that you went through to get yourself back to championship form plus it was your first title as an australian it was a it was really great moment in the book for me towards the end where i could smile and say okay you know, all of that work and all, all of, all of those things that she, that she did really was, was not for naught. So love that title too. Had to, had to talk about that. Yeah. That title for me, sorry to interrupt, is actually um, important on a, on a, on a lot of levels. You mentioned the nine years. That was actually, um, I actually battled um, depression and anxiety for over a decade. And those were, those nine years were a part of it actually. Those nine years between titles, I, you know, and I talk about that in the book of almost committing suicide. Um, I only retired a year and a half or two after Kuala Lumpur due to injury. So that title is so important on, on so many levels. You know, um, I actually played on the 204 for those 10 years while I was battling depression and didn't even know it at the time, which was extremely tough. So to come out of that and actually win a WTA title, it was so like I said, so satisfying and so important on a lot of levels of getting me, um, you know, back into kind of being myself and, and kind of coming out of that uh, battle, you know, with depression and anxiety and everything else um, that I had to go through. So it was uh, it was an extremely important title. Um, maybe even, you know, if, if you look at it um, from how important was, uh, not as a tennis player, but just in life to get back on track, it was, it was maybe one of the most important ones. Agreed. It's a great end to the book. And uh, again, I, I encourage everyone to go out and read that. We'll talk about it in all, just a little bit later as well. But um, thanks for sharing that. Tyrone, we're going to start with the first question. Obviously, you're, you're on the board with the tiebreak. So hopefully you're, you're going to get going here. The first one's pretty easy because we've already talked about it. So Yelena's helping you out a lot. She's, she's like Mark Filippousas with that big serve and you just stand there and you just have to put the volley away right now. All right. As a huge fan of tennis and of Yelena's career, I'm sure you remember how amazing of a junior player she was as she not only captured the junior U.S. Open title, but also the year-end number one ranking. But she also captured the 1998 French Open junior doubles title with this current WTA legend as her partner. 
I'm going to say uh, there's only one that I can think of that, that fits that description. It's uh, Kim. I'm going to say Kim. <laughs> okay, good. Yes, good. She's mentioned that already. All right, well done. Wow, what a, what a story Kim was in 2020. She, You know, I think we all, what a great comeback. And she played so well during World Team Tennis. Yeah. I know uh, we all had this collective groan probably we heard around the world when she lost that first round match at the U.S. Open as well. But um, Yelena, what, was, what were your thoughts on Kim's comeback? Yeah, look, uh, it was great to to actually see her back. Um, you know, obviously we saw that once already, and uh, when she came back uh, after having um, her first child and winning multiple Grand Slams, which was amazing. Uh, maybe a little bit of a surprise to hear that she was going to do it again, but um, not when you know Kim um, as well as I do. So uh, if there's anyone that can do this, um, what eight years later again after having now three children and a family, it's Kim. You know, she's extremely determined, hardworking. Um, and if anyone can make such a huge, you know, decision to come back into tennis and to actually try and do it um, on such a high level, it's her. So it's been great to, to watch her the couple of matches that she has played. Unfortunately, hasn't gotten a win, although she's only played, what, three tournaments. Um, and I think the actual um, break and the pandemic that we've had certainly didn't help that. I feel like, um, you know, she she really needed um, and, and will need a few more matches at the beginning. But as she was so close at the US Open, I feel like against a really great quality player. So I uh, am excited um, to hopefully see her in Australia and to see her play next year. And I'm sure she's working hard. And um, yeah, this year has been tough on a lot of levels, of, like we said, for everyone. So maybe actually deciding to, to skip the French Open and and not play and, and take a break and continue training for next year was a, was a good move, was a smart one. But yeah, I, I think we're going to see a lot more of her in this comeback and a lot more of her next year. No doubt. I mean, I think we can thank the Williams sisters for this trend of playing well into your late thirties and forties. Um, so uh, props to Kim Kleister. So happy to see her come back, especially from a fan perspective. Yelena, I don't know how you feel on the comeback front, but uh, at the at the end of your career, you had both wrist and soldier injuries. You never officially retired. Do you think if injuries weren't a factor that you'd still be playing tennis today? Uh, that's it's tough to say. Maybe yes, but I certainly that was like you know that was seven years ago. I, I you know almost eight. I retired at twenty nine, which is actually quite early. So I certainly think I would have played until about 35. Um, I don't know whether I still would have been playing now, but maybe, yeah. But um, it just depends on 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 the injuries. But I certainly, my plan was to play up until, um, you know, about 35. So, yeah, um, I feel like um, just the longevity of my career wasn't quite there, but I think that's due to a lot of factors, which obviously includes everything that I kind of went through and, and all the abuse and everything. And I talk about that at the end of the book that I kind of um, came to that end physically and mentally and always felt like I was fighting something and didn't really have anything left in me to continue my career. And I think my career was definitely short by everything that happened. And that, that includes, um, you know, battling depression, which is, um, it's impossible to be playing on the tour, traveling 10 months a year, playing constantly in such a competitive individual sport like tennis, week in and week out. Uh, it's impossible to do that while you're actually you know, battling depression. So I think that definitely shortened my career. Absolutely. I mean, I mentioned earlier you winning all those junior titles and starting your career with such a blaze. Tennis fans know early Yelena Dokic as a fierce tennis prodigy. You were the best junior in the world at such an early age, but you had so much pressure 
to be a success. Not only were there expectations from the press, there were expectations from uh, your family. You were being groomed to be the savior and the breadwinner in your family. Can you talk a little bit about pressure? Were you ever able to play pressure-free in the later part of your career? Or are you just a perfectionist by nature at this point? I'm not sure whether I ever felt like um, I could play pressure-free because I think, like I said, um, when you're battling depression, tennis is not your priority, even though I try to still be on tour. So I'm not sure whether I ever really played tennis completely free and completely happy the way that I wanted to be and and, and should have been. So uh, that's a little bit of a you know unfortunate part for me where I wish I would have had at least a few years where I'm playing um, with no you know kind of background problems and issues, which is what I battled my whole life and my whole career. So yeah, I'm not sure that I really know um, what that feels like. <laughs> To play yeah. completely pressure-free and completely happy, unfortunately. But I don't know. I feel like I feel like this was meant to be, and I feel like this was meant to be my story, and I feel like I was meant to share it with the world and help other people. So um, that definitely kind of you know that, that definitely makes me feel like it was all it was all worth something. You know everything that I went through and all and sacrifices and um, all the abuse and all the you know tough years and and everything that I've gone through. I feel like you know. At the end, it was it was worth something, and, and I got something out of it. Obviously, a huge lesson in life, and I'm still here. And I could have easily not have been, you know, after everything that I've gone through. Um, but also for a lot of other people, um, I think it's been incredible to hear and to see and to talk to so many people that they feel like they've learned so much and got so much positive positive things and positive energy out of my story and out of my book, which is which is great. It really makes me feel good. That's why I've always said I thought you'd make it an excellent WTA super coach because you'd be able to spot anxiety right away with a player and and know exactly how to how to help them. Have you thought about coaching in the future? I know you've dabbled a little bit in it, but um, is that an area of tennis that that interests you as well? You know, never say never, but uh, yeah, I think tennis. If you're going to go into that really WTA coaching space, I think you need to fully you need to commit to it full time. And I, you know, after my book and everything that I'm doing now, including commentary, you know, motivational speaking, it takes, you know, at least six months of my year. So the problem is I would have to completely put that aside and go into the WTA coaching area. And, and you really have to, you know, invest a lot of time early on into that to, you know, kind of establish yourself. And I just have to kind of see what, what's in store for me for the next three to five years and whether that's something that um, I would want to do I, I was, from a passion perspective um, and my love for tennis and what I think I can bring to um, a player and whether I would actually like to, to coach someone on WTA, for sure I would. What is the best th for, thing for me right now and in the next three to five years? I still feel like I'm young enough that I can even in five years' time, if I decide to, um, I would only be 40 and I would still you know, be able to no problem go on to the WTA to us. But I'm actually very, very satisfied with what I do with my TV career, with my speaking career there. Um, I've, I've got my coaching degree as well. So I feel like I'm not too far away from that, but we'll see what happens. We just got to show you the money. That's it. You have Elena Dokic uh, in your corner. No, <laughs> actually, it's not. It's, you, believe it or not, it's, it's not about that. I, I, I wouldn't, that's not the reason why I would do it. I think you make certain career choices based on thinking, okay, is it better for me to do the TV career for right now? You know, is it better for me to do the um, my motivational speaking right now, which I love so much and I get so much happiness and joy out of doing. So that's what it's about. And 
I think even the coaching part, you got to go in it with passion and love. And, and I think it's very hard to do that job, um, you know, just for money. That's not why I would do it. But I also think, you know, uh, like I said, you got to really commit to it 12 months a year. You literally do. And um, certainly not for the next two, three years. I'm not sure that I've actually got that time. All right. Well, stay tuned, everyone. Hopefully we'll see some some headlines in the next couple of years. So. All right, Elena, your first question. As an Aussie, Tyrone is fiercely devoted fan and has traveled all over the country to support Australia in team competitions. Most recently, he talked about going to the latest edition of Hotman Cup in 2019. And he actually lists, like you said, your 1999 Hotman Cup title with Mark Philippoussis as one of his favorite events. I know it was a long time ago, but can you remember which team Australia beat in the 1999 final to win their first ever Hotman Cup title? It would be Sweden. Oh, there we go. She's matching you. She's she's on the board. <laughs> that was so easy. That was so easy. <laughs> Honestly, 99 Hotman Cup, it had all the top players. It had Lindsay, Martina, Arancha, Amanda Kutzer. Everyone was so good. So RIP Hotman Cup. It was crazy. Tyrone, did you watch the Serena Roger mix match last year? We were there. Um, I, I know Yelena was uh, was commentating um, during the Hopman Cup. I'm not sure if she was there that particular year. Um, just going back to what Yelena was saying earlier about her, her TV career, I would actually really love for that to become even a, a bigger thing because you're such a well-known name in the country. Like we followed you and you have such a you have such a history with with the country. People knew you from back in the late 90s and you've been able to translate that to, you know, uh, 20, 20 years later. and I just, I'm going to mention this because I think I think I want to know what Yelena thinks. Mark Philippoussis, um, John, you guys have a, a show in, in the States called The Masked Singer? <laughs> we do, actually, yes. So M- Mark was actually on The Masked Singer. I want to ask Yelena what she thought of seeing Mark on there. <laughs> I was shocked, I'm going to say. Oh, I, I had no idea that was him. So What did you think about, what did you think about his, uh, his uh, singing ability, in, in quotes, in quotes? Um, I'm not an expert on singing, so I don't know how to... I'm looking for a diplomatic answer here. No, I think it was good. <laughs> no, no, it was good. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> but I just, I just, I was saying, um, look, I, I think it would be fascinating. And, and I think, you know, Yelena touched on... You think it'd be fascinating for Yelena to go on Mass Singer? Is that what... <laughs> It's up to her, but I would love to see Elena do something like, I don't know, uh, like um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here or a celebrity survivor or something. Because I think you you learn so much more about the the the, the personality of, of the, the individual seeing those. And I know it sounds like a, you know, it sounds like a bit of a cop out, but it just, I, like I said, Elena, I'd, I'd love to see more of you on TV. It's, you know, I don't want it to just be when there's tennis on, when in, in January when we see you. It's, you know, I, I don't, don't want to, tell you how to run your your next part of your career but that that would be awesome yeah look I, I, I you never know you know um what might happen and what time brings yeah Okay, so I think what we're saying is that we want to see Yelena, just to bring it back, Yelena on Australian Survivor, so that we can we can have both on, you know, or, or real 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 housewives of South Melbourne or something. I don't know. Is that a thing? Is that a show that you have? We have real, real housewives. housewives oh, yeah. Man, man, oh man. <laughs> Real Housewives of Tennis. You could, Yelena could get on there with uh, Beck Hewitt and um, who else is there? This is a huge segue, but do you, I mean, do you guys watch American Housewives as well? Do you watch those yes, shows or not? Yes, I do actually. Oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> 
I had Coco Vandeweghe on the show the other night, and she's a big Beverly Hills fan. So we we kind of fanned out. Tyron, you've got you've got some great ideas there. So I think we need to pitch it. <laughs> All right, we need to pitch it. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I don't watch a lot of television, but I do watch Housewives. Oh my gosh. All right, let's go back. I do want to talk about, we were talking about Hotman Cup and I just think, you know, for a tennis player and Tyrone and I both play tennis too on a recreational level, but it's so different when you play Fed Cup, Hotman Cup, uh, the Olympics. It's so different because tennis is such an individual sport. Yelena, what did, what did those events mean for you? Obviously you played Fed Cup throughout your career. You always made it a point to, to make yourself available. Yeah, huge events. And I think, um, you know, events like Hopman Cup and Fed Cup and um, even the Olympics, they're so, so they're so different to what we're used to, you know, um, very individual tournaments, including Grand Slams. So every time, you know, those Fed Cup week came along, it was great. Um, you know, the, the whole team, you, you really felt like you were a part of the team. We had a whole great week of practice going into that Fed Cup weekend. Very, very different to what we're used to. Um, I always really enjoyed those Hopman Cup as well. I was part of the Sydney Olympics. And for me, those were some of the best memories I had. You went 15-2 and two in Fed Cup um, in your play during your career. And you still actually hold the record for being the youngest player ever to compete for Australia in Fed Cup at 15 years old, which is amazing. We're going we're gonna to move on to question number two. I have one more question for each of you. We're still doing well. Tyrone's winning right now. He has the tie break. So, Yelena, I'm going to start this one with you. I'm going to test your WTA knowledge, actually. Tyrone is a major fan of the sport, so it's no surprise to hear his answer to a question I like to ask every tennis fan. I asked him, what is the first professional match that he remembered watching with interest? And his answer in true Aussie fashion was the 1988 Australian Open women's final with icon Chris Everett, who would lose in her 34th and last Grand Slam final to this player. Who was that player, Yelena? There's, I think, two possibilities. Steffi Graf. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Steffi Graf. Yelena takes the lead. Tyrone, did you watch that match on television? Yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 strange to say that you have a you have an eight year old invested in a tennis match, but that was to me it was fascinating because um I, you know it was two women playing playing a sport on TV, and it to me it just didn't click at the time that it was such a big deal. But but yeah, it was impressive. It was super impressive. Oh, absolutely! Did you know that Chris Everett won all? She got she was in six Australian Opens, and she got to the final of all six of them. Is that not amazing? What a record that is! Wow! Yeah, insane. No, I didn't know that. Yelena, your overlap with Steffi was brief, but historic, because at the 1999 Wimbledon, it would be her last major, and coincidentally, it would be your first Wimbledon. In your book, you mentioned that both she and Monica Seles were your idols. What was it about them that that you admired so much? You know, that was that era. That's that's the era that I grew up in. And yeah, Monica Seles and Steffi, they were my, you know, my childhood idols. And, you know, again, I think I was fortunate you know, never got to actually play Steffi in an official match, but we played um, two exhibitions together in 2000, in February, actually, we actually played uh, two exhibition matches in uh, in New Zealand, uh, which was incredible. But we did practice um, that actual Wimbledon in 99, where I made my breakthrough and got to the quarters. Um, we actually practiced um, together when it was raining, and um, I was in shock that she um, that she actually said yes to go and actually um, go and have a hit, which was unbelievable. I'd, I talk about that in the book and, and just how um, how nice that was of her. And the same for Monica, 99 Australian Open, where we practiced actually at what, 7 a.m. at the Australian Open and how it was one of the, as well, one of the toughest practice sessions I've ever had with her and Steph to this day. Uh, so, yeah, I had some uh, great moments there with uh, two players that I got into tennis because, because of them. So it was great to have that experience. 
We saw 2020 actually saw the debut of Monica Seles on Instagram this year too. I don't know if you guys follow her. Steffi Graf, we have not seen on social media, but Monica's on Instagram. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a big Monica Seles fan as well. That 99 Wimbledon I mentioned earlier was from a fan perspective, one of my very favorites of all time. It had Yelena Dokic lighting up the draw in the first round, beating Hingis. It had the changing of the guard with Davenport beating Graf. I think I counted at one point, I think there were 30 players in that draw that had made or would eventually make a Grand Slam semifinal. So when you talk about, Yelena, the era of of uh, of all the players playing top level, we haven't recreated that in, in some time. But um, your success came on grass at Wimbledon. That was the first success you had at 99 your, and also your 2000 semifinal run that made you a household name. Tyrone, have you been to Wimbledon? I have not. I have not. This uh, one of my one of my uh, goals, but it it seems harder every day. Bucket list. It's for sure. I went to my first this past year. It was, it was amazing. Except from a fan perspective, when you're waiting, I know Yelena didn't have to do this, but you, you queue for hours and hours and hours and hours. I don't, it was pretty archaic, but I I found it um, uh, fun, I guess. You know, I I embraced (laughs) it after the fourth hour. I said, oh, you know, just, just enjoy it. I guess in New York, we're just always rush, 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 but all right, Tyrone, your, your last question. You told me that you stayed up late to watch Elena's epic run at the 2009 Australian Open. Believe it or not, there are still three active players that reached that quarterfinal with Elena that year. Besides the GOAT, Serena Williams, can you name either of the other two that made the quarters the year that Elena pleasantly surprised the Aussies? Oh, oh my God. Why, why do I always get the hard ones? <laughs> Just give me a guess. Give me a fun guess. Give me a nice veteran. Oh, Venus. Okay, that's a good. That's a good guess. That's a good one. It's incorrect, but it's still a great guess. It's a great guess. We're staying on the Russian tangent. We're going with Kuznetsova and Zvonareva. That quarter with Dinara was fantastic, Elena. You actually played legends doubles with Dinara at the 2020 Australian Open. How fun was that event? Yeah, it was great. It was actually my first time playing the legends and it was actually my first time back on court kind of a little bit more officially since I retired uh, and uh, I was going to get uh, into the legends a little bit hopefully uh, a little bit more so this was my first year which was uh, actually I was so nervous um, you know pre-tournament and um, it was great because I got to we actually all of um, all the legends you kind of um, get to hit with each other again so I was like managed to kind of get on court early early in the morning so I was practicing with Inara, obviously, who was my partner, my doubles partner, but also with Daniela Hantakova as well. We practiced for like four or five days going into it. It was actually, uh, it was great. It was great to, to hang out with everyone again. It was great to be on court again. Um, it's actually quite fun. You know, some, some take it a little bit more seriously than others, which is fine. And, and that's okay as well. You know, we're all still competitive, but we also have a lot of fun. So it was great. Um, it would be great to be able to play that again next year. I'm not sure if it's going to happen um, with all the, obviously, you know, cutting back and, and all the restrictions for tournaments and stuff. But I had so much fun and um, actually played really well. I was surprised <laughs> with how well I hit the ball, but um, it was so exciting. Yeah, it was great to, for my first actual Legends tournament to be to do it back in Australia. What a time warp to play, you know, against Martina Navratilova, Renee Stubbs, even Maioli, all these all these great players from your generation. It was um, it was really, really fun to see. 
Shidinara and I were were in contact and then um, we didn't even know that we were going to play with each other yet. And then we were like, oh, you know, well, that should be you know, really nice because uh, she's played a couple of them and I haven't played any. And even though, like, we all get along really well and Danielle and I, I were practicing, we're like, oh, what are we going to get? And I said to Dinara, you know what, we played against each other here in 2009 and it would be actually be nice that we play with each other. So I actually think that that's why they paired us together, to be honest. 100%, 100% of absolutely. I bet for sure when fans come up to you, you, uh, you tell us what, if that's not the number one match that people bring up your, your 2009 Australian open run, I think it, uh, obviously Tyrone and I are big fans. I mean, that run is, is historic and we're getting towards Australian open season again. So I'm sure it comes up every Australian open where you have to, you have to talk about it, but, um, John, I have a, I have a question real quick for Yelena. This is something that I told you I was going to mention that might make her laugh, but Yelena, that match against, um, Elisa Kleb- Klebanova that went to eight, six. Um, and I don't know if you remember, but they made us, they, they, they made you play all the night matches because obviously it was prime time. It was like the, the hot match to have on TV. They had Yelena playing matches before Nadal and Federer. And that never happens, can I say. With the Australian Open, it's always Roger and Rafa get to play the, the prime time match. But they had Yelena coming in as a, as a wild card and she played the night matches. She played three set matches. So you can imagine these boys having to wait after a three set match. And they weren't easy matches either. She had she had like a, a there was a tie break yeah. against Chuck Vidatse there. Was the there wasn't the Yaki match, and then the Klaivanova match was the seven five five seven eight six. So it went the distance, and she had Klaivanova had this really what strange backhand where her head would snap. Yeah, she had very um very unique you know technique of the way that she played, and she played very very flat, but had great angles. And actually, we knew each other very well. We practiced all the time together, especially yeah, especially going into that Australian Open. Like we practiced and played points with each other every single day. And then when we actually got to that fourth round, we were like, oh okay, well we practiced all summer long, and we it was all yeah, it was always so close because our games. You know, like there was something about our games that kind of um, matched up really well against one of us. She liked certain things I did. I liked certain things that she did to match my game. That's why I think it was so close. And uh, even after that match, like we saw each other the next day, we had lunch together. So, oh, wow. Yeah, which was great. She, she's lovely. Yeah, she's really lovely. So. What did you think of your draw, by the way? You know, it was such a tricky draw. You played Tamir Pachik in the first round, who coincidentally, she's back playing ITF. She was in Greece today. She qualified for an event in Greece. So good luck, Tamira. I love I love a good comeback. I've already said that. You play you played Pachik first round. Chak Vatazzi was amazing. It was the first time you'd played her. Wozniacki, the next round, it was the first time you played Wozniacki. Klaibanova, you'd never played Klaibanova before either. So it was very, it was a very strange first four rounds for you. Did you like the draw? Was it something that you think about um going? into a tournament when you look you look ahead or are you a one match one match kind of person no I go one match at a time and I feel like that whole draw even though so you know obviously um Serena ended up winning that one and Gennaro was what number one or number two in the world doesn't really matter but even though I didn't get play them early on but this was an extremely actually extremely tricky draw um match after match and I kind of feel like we all you know actually played you know really well you know, Klebanova played, you know, one of her best matches, even with with my match with Safina um, as well. So, um, yeah, that's why I think people, you, you said earlier, everyone remembers that run and that Australian Open because of that's because of all of those epic matches, those night matches. And um, I think the ratings for the matches were also like some of the most watched matches ever straight up. So that's why everyone remembers, remembers those. Absolutely. Yeah. 
if anyone needs something uplifting and you're getting ready in January for the Australian Open YouTube, the highlights of Yelena Dokic's run, it was, it was, uh, I remember, I remember it very well. All right, Yelena, Yelena, you win. You beat Tyrone. I'm sorry, Tyrone. Almost very close. You know, if I was going to lose to someone, no one, no one better to lose to. I like the spirit. <laughs> You've got mail. We have a couple fan mail questions, and then we have one last little tiny, tiny game for us. But Yelena, I have Yulia from San Francisco. She wrote me and she said, please tell Yelena that I loved her book and that I love seeing her in a happy place today. I wondered if she can give us any recent updates. What is her relationship like with her parents today? We also loved her partner, Tin, for being such a solid rock for her. And she says, go Tin. So thank you. Um, uh, thank you, Yulia. Any updates for us? Yeah, thank you for that. And definitely, yeah, go Tin. <laughs> um, yeah, so <laughs> I don't um, actually have any um, relationship at all with my dad. Um, I do talk to my mum. And, yeah, we, we speak regularly. I have a great relationship with my brother. Is he in Europe or Australia? Where's Savo? Uh, Europe. Okay. Europe, yeah. But uh, we have a great relationship. We talk every single day and, even, and Tin talks to him as well. We, we all three get along incredibly well. So that's the update from there. And also, um, uh, yeah, and also um, the book will be turned into a documentary as well. So that's a, an update on that. So we're, we're actually in the middle of filming that uh, oh. right now. So that's a bit of a, yeah, bit of a scoop on that. That will be out soon. Wow. John, can I quickly just tell tell you when I read the when I read the book, Yelena? Do you remember when we had a Fed Cup tie in in Canberra a couple of years ago? The book had just come out, and I was at the airport, and I bought the book to read it on the plane. And no joke, this is I'm not being I'm I'm not I'm not pretending here. I the first part of it was so heartbreaking that I'm sitting on the plane before takeoff, and I start crying. And the stewardess came up to me and she said, are you okay? I said, I'm just reading a book and it's really upsetting. And I was on, I was in tears on the plane because like you said, you know, we don't, we don't see that side, you know, and, and the, the first part, when you talk about the player lounge in, in Wimbledon and that as a, a thinking about that and then having to, to, you know, cause I, I know what the lounges look like at work and just thinking how how did that even happen like how did it even happen so to me it was it was i couldn't put it down i couldn't put it down as, as soon as i finished it i gave it to my coworker. i said you need to read this book just read the first even if like even if you don't you know you don't, you don't know yelena you don't you don't you know if you if you're not a big fan read the first read the first few pages and you will finish it no joke and i i got the same reaction from so many people and it just it was so heartbreaking the book just amazing and i don't even have it anymore because because someone else wanted to borrow it so no no i appreciate it yeah i appreciate that and and that's really nice of you thank you but a lot of people have had that reaction because um yeah i, I was extremely open in the book and i really went all out to show actually what happened and that first bit that you talk about it when but when i was left and i wasn't allowed to obviously go home and i had to stay on the grounds to, uh, you know, I was what, 16 years old. And yeah, those people that have read the book, they know what I'm talking about. So people have really reacted really strongly to that. And they said, oh my God, what a start to the book. Um, you know, and that really sets the tone of, unfortunately, but, you know, what happened and what the reality is. And it sets the tone for the book of, you know, what's coming. And it's ex exciting for, exciting to hear that the documentary is coming out too. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, That was a big goal of mine to try and um, actually turn it into a documentary and get it on screen. So I think people will, even more so, will actually see me, you know, now actually 
talk and it's not just in words on, on in a book on paper, but they'll actually see me um, talk about it. So it's been great um, on, on so many levels, like I said, for people to actually get to know. For the first time, I feel like they actually got to know me as a person, as a tennis player, because I think um, it was I was so overshadowed by my father and everything that he did, you know, in tennis. But also people thought that I was like that and people thought that that was me just because he had such a strong presence in the media talked about him all the time so I actually for the first time feel like I got my voice back and I got to tell the story and people got to know me you know when I was reading the book personally I just wanted to reach through the pages and hug you and I think a lot of people wanted to do that like Tyrone said as well so I think you understand that especially when you're talking about the book Uh, I can't wait for this documentary but all right our very last um, seconds with Yelena we play a game called it's a rapid fire question round I'm going to ask you 15 questions very quickly just give me the first thing that comes off of your of your brain, okay? Number one, something you did to pass the time during lockdown. Uh, uh, Netflix. <laughs> your favorite tournament to play. Australian Open. Name a person you loved playing doubles with on tour. Oh, just one? Just one. I'm sure there are many. I know you're nice. There are many. I don't want to offend anyone. Uh, Kim Closes. <laughs> when was the last time you, well, we already know this one. When was the last time you hit a tennis ball? Uh, two days ago. What's the most Australian thing about you? Oh, jeez. Um, uh, 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 I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can. Do you eat Vegemite? Tried it, yes, I have. I, 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 would, I would need it all every day. That's politely, that's something polite to say no. Okay, good. All right. Um, we'll come back to that one. Then, uh, what's your morning ritual, Yelena? Get up, wash my face, coffee. First, that, that's the first thing. That's good. The, the first app you look at when you wake up? Instagram. <laughs> you are a world-class tennis player. Name something you were bad at. Something I'm bad at. Um, cooking. Something that is left on your bucket list. Left on my bucket list. Um, there's many things, but more travel where I can actually go and see the cities. I think we know the answer to this one. We answered it. Did you ever look ahead at the draws at tournaments and you said? Uh, not really, no. Name a hobby that you have outside of tennis. Um, travel and uh, yeah, I'll leave it at travel. In what space would you write your book the most in? What do you mean? In what? What did you say? In what space? Did you did you write in your home? Did you write in a park? Did you write in the bedroom? Where, where did you write mostly Unbreakable? Um, we did it, well, I did it with my writer. Um, we did it at living space, my living room. In a living space. Good job. Okay. Describe yourself off court in one word. Um, fun. Number 15, the last one. Looking back on your time in tennis, Yelena, what do you think you will be remembered by the most or remembered for the most? Um, tough one. I think that's for other people maybe to, to say and to talk about. But um, hopefully my story and my book will leave something behind that will change things. So hopefully we'll leave a legacy behind that will make a difference. I think you made a, a lot of difference in a lot of people's lives after they read your, your story. I want to thank my guests for joining us today. You can follow Tyrone Andres Parker on Instagram at Hey Mr. TJ. Uh, thank you, Tyrone. You're awesome. Thank you. Thanks, John. We've made friends. Our guest today can be found on Instagram at Dockich underscore Yelena. You can buy her book anywhere, including Amazon and Booktopia, or you can download it on Google Play and the audio goes right to your computer. It's very 2020 that way. While you're on Instagram, please follow us at Fantastic Tennis Pod or on Twitter at the same handle. My name is John Garica, and thank you for listening. This has been fantastic. <laughs>